I don't know who needs to hear this, but we have just quietly released the first episode of our long-awaited audiobook adaption of Jane Austen's Persuasion. We've submitted it to all the usual streaming platforms, so go and search for it where you listen to podcasts to see it, to see it, to find it, to listen to it. I think that's the point. Podcasts, you don't use your eyes, you use your ears. Anyway, it's going to be available there soon, so you should go and find it um, and see if it's available yet. For more info about the podcast, visit our website, which is www.bnt.org.au. Chapter 44. Elizabeth had settled it that Mr. Darcy should bring his sister to visit her the very day after her reaching Pemberley, and was consequently resolved not to be out of sight of the inn the whole of that morning. But her conclusion was false, for, on the very morning after their arrival at Lambton, these visitors came. They had been walking about the place with some of their new friends, and were just returning to the inn to dress themselves for dining with the same family, when the sound of a carriage drew them to the window, and they saw a gentleman and a lady in a curricle driving up the street. Elizabeth immediately recognised the livery, guessed what it meant, and imparted no small degree of her surprise to her relations by acquainting them with the honour which she expected. Her uncle and her aunt were all amazement, and the embarrassment of her manner as she spoke joined to the circumstance itself, and many of the circumstances of the preceding day, opened to them a new idea on the business. Nothing had ever suggested it before, but they felt that there was no other way of accounting for such attentions from such a quarter than by supposing a partiality for their niece. While these newly-born notions were passing in their heads, the perturbation of Elizabeth's feelings was, at every moment, increasing. She was quite amazed at her own discomposure, but, amongst other causes of disquiet, she dreaded lest the partiality of the brother should have said too much in her favour, and, more than commonly anxious to please, she naturally suspected that every power of pleasing would fail her. She retreated from the window, fearful of being seen, and, as she walked up and down the room, endeavouring to compose herself, saw such looks of inquiring surprise in her uncle and aunt as made everything worse. Miss Darcy and her brother appeared, and this formidable introduction took place. With astonishment did Elizabeth see that her new acquaintance was at least as embarrassed as herself. Since her being at Lambton, she had heard that Miss Darcy was exceedingly proud, but the observation of a very few minutes convinced her that she was only exceedingly shy. She found it very difficult to obtain even a word from her beyond a monosyllable. Miss Darcy was tall and on a larger scale than Elizabeth, and, though little more than sixteen, her figure was formed and her appearance womanly and graceful. She was less handsome than her brother, but there was sense and good humour in her face, and her manners were perfectly unassuming and gentle. Elizabeth, who had expected to find in her as acute and unembarrassed an observer as ever Mr Darcy had been, was much relieved by discerning such different feelings. Miss Bennet. Miss Darcy, it is a pleasure to make your acquaintance. I have heard much about you. Miss Darcy hesitated, her expression uncertain. You were mentioned fondly by your housekeeper yesterday, by your brother and by Colonel Fitzwilliam. Seeing the look of anxiety spread on Miss Darcy's face, Elizabeth offered her a kind concession. As we have so many mutual acquaintances, 
May I suppose that you have heard of me as well? Oh, yes. In particular, your accomplishments on the pianoforte. My brother spoke most highly of your talents. Well, that is quite a surprise. While I do play, I cannot boast a level of understanding of the instrument that could claim accomplishment. I have four sisters, and one instrument between us leaves little time to practice, particularly as one of my younger sisters enjoys it so. Forgive me for doubting your humility, Miss Bennet, but my brother also mentioned your great affection for your sisters, which by your own words this moment is proved true. I have learned to wholly trust his every word when it is an assessment of character. Perhaps I shall hope for the opportunity to hear you play for myself, to form my own opinion. And I you. Several more of our acquaintances have spoken of your fondness of music and mentioned your skill on the pianoforte. I know Miss Bingley and Mrs Hurst championed it as a particular accomplishment of yours upon their first describing you to me. You must have played for them often. Miss Darcy blushed. Uh, Perhaps a little more often than is proper. I must admit that I am more at ease with the pianoforte than in conversation and am relieved when invited to play, which my brother kindly does often. (sighs) Having heard him speak so fondly of you, I am sure he delights in it at every available opportunity. Do you and your sisters play for one another, Miss Bennet? With five of us so close in age, we have one another's company in most things. I have wished many times I had a sister as well. And I, a brother... They had not been long together before Mr Darcy told her that Bingley was also coming to wait on her, and she had barely time to express her satisfaction and prepare for such a visitor when Bingley's quick step was heard on the stairs, and in a moment he entered the room. Miss Elizabeth, how delightful to see you again. All Elizabeth's anger against him had been long done away, but had she still felt any, it could hardly have stood its ground against the unaffected cordiality with which he expressed himself on seeing her again. He inquired in a friendly, though general way, after her family. I trust they are all quite well. Indeed, they are. When last I saw them. Ah, yes, of course. I trust your journey has been comfortable thus far. Such a fortunate chance that our paths should cross again. Have you been touring with your uncle and aunt for some weeks? I should be most gratified if you would extend me the honour of an introduction. Mr Bingley was all affability, and he looked and spoke with the same good-humoured ease as he had ever done. To Mr and Mrs Gardiner, he was scarcely a less interesting personage than to herself. They had long wished to see him. The whole party before them, indeed, excited a lively attention. The suspicions which had just arisen of Mr Darcy and their niece directed their observation towards each with an earnest though guarded inquiry, and they soon drew from those inquiries a full conviction that one of them, at least, knew what it was to love. Of the lady's sensations they remained a little in doubt, but that the gentleman was overflowing with admiration was evident enough. Elizabeth, on her side, had much to do. 
She wanted to ascertain the feelings of each of her visitors. She wanted to compose her own and to make herself agreeable to all, and, in the latter object, where she feared most to fail, she was most sure of success, for those to whom she endeavoured to give pleasure were prepossessed in her favour. Bingley was ready, Georgiana was eager, and Darcy determined to be pleased. In seeing Bingley, her thoughts naturally flew to her sister, and, oh, how ardently did she long to know whether any of his were directed in a like manner. Sometimes she could fancy that he talked less than on former occasions, and, once or twice, pleased herself with the notion that, as he looked at her, he was trying to trace a resemblance. But, though this might be imaginary, she could not be deceived as to his behaviour to Miss Darcy, who had been set up as a rival to Jane. No look appeared on either side that spoke particular regard. Nothing occurred between them that could justify the hopes of his sister. On this point, she was soon satisfied, and two or three little circumstances occurred ere they parted, which, in her anxious interpretation, denoted a recollection of Jane not unintentioned by tenderness, and a wish of saying more that might lead to the mention of her, had he dared. He observed to her, at a moment when the others were talking together, and in a tone which had something of real regret, that It is a very long time since I had the pleasure of seeing you and your family. And, before she could reply, he added, It is above eight months. We have not met since the 26th of November, when we were all dancing together at Netherfield. Elizabeth was pleased to find his memory so exact, and, when unattended by the rest of them, Mr Bingley took occasion to ask her, Are all your sisters still at Longbourn? There was not much in the question, nor in the preceding remark, but there was a look and a manner which gave them meaning, as well as the slight concern at her response. All except one, Mr Bingley. Oh. He frowned, hesitating. Yes, my youngest sister is in Brighton. Ah, very good. Most excellent. Well, I am glad to see you are so well. It was not often that she could turn her eyes on Mr Darcy himself, but whenever she did catch a glimpse, she saw an expression of general complacence, and, in all that he said, she heard an accent so removed from auteur or disdain of his companions as convinced her that the improvement of manners which she had yesterday witnessed, however temporary its existence might prove, had at least outlived one day. When she saw him thus seeking the acquaintance and courting the good opinion of people with whom any intercourse a few months ago would have been a disgrace, when she saw him thus civil, not only to herself, but to the very relations whom he had openly disdained and recollected their last lively scene at Huntsford Parsonage, the difference, the change was so great and struck so forcibly on her mind that she could hardly restrain her astonishment from being visible. Never, even in the company of his dear friends at Netherfield or his dignified relations at Rosings, had she seen him so desirous to please, so free from self-consequence or unbending reserve as now, when no importance could result from the success of his endeavours and when even the acquaintance of those to whom his attentions were addressed would draw down the ridicule and censure of the ladies of both Netherfield and Rosings. Their visitors stayed with them above half an hour, and, when they arose to depart, Mr Darcy called on his sister to join him in expressing their wish of seeing Mr and Mrs Gardiner and Miss Bennet to dinner at Pemberley before they left the country. 
Miss Darcy, though with a diffidence which marked her little in the habit of giving invitations, readily obeyed. Oh, but you must join us. I hope you have no fixed engagements. It would be our very great pleasure to welcome you back to Pemberley. Mr. Darcy's gaze was fixed on Elizabeth as he spoke. Mrs. Gardiner looked at her niece, desirous of knowing how she, whom the invitation most concerned, felt disposed as to its acceptance. But Elizabeth had turned away her head, presuming, however, that this studied avoidance spoke rather a momentary embarrassment than any dislike of the proposal, and seeing in her husband, who was fond of society, a perfect willingness to accept it, she ventured to engage for her attendance, and the day after the next was fixed on. Bingley expressed great pleasure in the certainty of seeing Elizabeth again, having still a great deal to say to her, and many inquiries to make after all their Hertfordshire friends. Elizabeth, Construing all this into a wish of hearing her speak of her sister, was pleased, and, on this account, as well as some others, found herself, when their visitors left them, capable of considering the last half-hour with some satisfaction, though, while it was passing, the enjoyment of it had been little. Eager to be alone and fearful of inquiries or hints from her uncle and aunt, she stayed with them only long enough to hear their favourable opinion of Bingley and then hurried away to dress. But there was no reason to fear Mr and Mrs Gardiner's curiosity. It was not their wish to force her communication. It was evident that she was much better acquainted with Mr Darcy than they had before any idea of. It was evident that he was very much in love with her, they saw much to interest, but nothing to justify inquiry. Of Mr. Darcy, it was now a matter of anxiety to think well, and, as far as their acquaintance reached, there was no fault to find. They could not be untouched by his politeness, and, had they drawn his character from their own feelings and his servant's report, without any reference to any other account, the circle in Hertfordshire to which he was known would not have recognised it for Mr. Darcy. There was now an interest, however, in believing the housekeeper, and they soon became sensible that the authority of a servant who had known him since he was four years old and whose own manners indicated respectability was not to be hastily rejected. Neither had anything occurred in their intelligence of their Lambton friends that could materially lessen its weight. They had nothing to accuse him of but pride. Pride he probably had, and if not it would certainly be imputed by the inhabitants of a small market town where the family did not visit. It was acknowledged, however, that he was a liberal man and did much good among the poor. With respect to Wickham, the travellers soon found that he was not held there in much estimation. For though the chief of his concerns with the son of his patron were imperfectly understood, it was a yet well-known fact that on his quitting Derbyshire he had left many debts behind him, which Mr Darcy afterwards discharged. As for Elizabeth, her thoughts were at Pemberley this evening more than the last, and the evening, though as it passed it seemed long, was not long enough to determine her feelings towards one in that mansion, and she lay awake two whole hours endeavouring to make them out. She certainly did not hate him, no, Hatred had vanished long ago, and she had almost as long been ashamed of ever feeling a dislike against him that could be so called. 
The respect created by the conviction of his valuable qualities, though at first unwillingly admitted, had for some time ceased to be repugnant to her feelings, and it was now heightened into somewhat of a friendlier nature, by the testimony so highly in his favour, and bringing forward his disposition in so amiable a light which yesterday had produced. But, above all, above respect and esteem, there was a motive within her of good will which could not be overlooked. It was gratitude. Gratitude not merely for having once loved her, but for loving her still well enough to forgive all the petulance and acrimony of her manner in rejecting him, and all the unjust accusations accompanying her rejection. He who, she had been persuaded, would avoid her as his greatest enemy, seemed, on this accidental meeting, most eager to preserve the acquaintance, and, without any indelicate display of regard, or of any peculiarity of manner where their two selves only were concerned, was soliciting the good opinion of her friends, and bent on making her known to his sister. Such a change in a man of so much pride excited not only astonishment, but gratitude. For to love, ardent love, it must be attributed. And, as such its impression on her was of a sort to be encouraged as by no means unpleasing, though it could not be exactly defined. She respected, she esteemed, she was grateful to him. She felt a real interest in his welfare, and she only wanted to know how far she wished that welfare to depend upon herself, and how far it would be for the happiness of both that she should employ the power, which her fancy told her she still possessed, of bringing on her the renewal of his addresses. It had been settled in the evening between the aunt and the niece that such a striking civility as Miss Darcy's in coming to see them on the very day of her arrival at Pemberley, for she had reached it only to a late breakfast, ought to be imitated, though it could not be equalled, by some exertion of politeness on their side, and, consequently, that it would be highly expedient to wait on her at Pemberley the following morning. They were, therefore, to go. Elizabeth was pleased though, when she asked herself the reason, she had very little to say in reply. Mr. Gardiner left them soon after breakfast. The fishing scheme had been renewed the day before, and a positive engagement made of his meeting some of the gentlemen at Pemberley before noon. Chapter 45 Convinced as Elizabeth now was that Miss Bingley's dislike of her had originated in jealousy, she could not help feeling how unwelcome her appearance at Pemberley must be to her, and was curious to know with how much civility on that lady's side the acquaintance would now be renewed. On reaching the house, they were shown through the hall into the saloon, whose northern aspect rendered it delightful for summer. Its windows, opening to the ground, admitted a most refreshing view of the high woody hills behind the house, and of the beautiful oaks and the Spanish chestnuts which were scattered over the immediate lawn. In this house they were received by Miss Darcy, who was sitting there with Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, and the lady with whom she lived in London. Georgiana's reception of them was very civil, but attended with all the embarrassment which, though proceeding from shyness and the fear of doing wrong, would easily give to those who felt themselves inferior to the belief of her being proud and reserved. Mrs. Gardiner and her niece, however, did her justice and pitied her. By Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, they were noticed only by a curtsy, and, on their being seated, a pause awkward as such pauses must always be, succeeded for a few moments. 
It was first broken by Mrs. Ainsley, a genteel, agreeable-looking woman whose endeavour to introduce some kind of discourse proved her to be more truly well-bred than either of the others, and between her and Mrs. Gardiner, with occasional help from Elizabeth, the conversation was carried on. Miss Darcy looked as if she wished for courage enough to join it, and sometimes did venture a short sentence when there was the least danger of its being heard. Elizabeth soon saw that she herself was closely watched by Miss Bingley, and that she could not speak a word, especially to Miss Darcy, without calling her attention. This observation would not have prevented her from trying to talk to the latter, had they not been seated at an inconvenient distance. But she was not sorry to be spared the necessity of saying much. Her own thoughts were employing her. She expected every moment that some of the gentlemen would enter the room. She wished... She feared that the master of the house might be among them, and, whether she wished or feared it most, she could scarcely determine. After sitting this manner a quarter of an hour without hearing Miss Bingley's voice, Elizabeth was roused by receiving from her a cold inquiry after the health of her family. I trust that the Bennets of Longbourn are all quite well. She answered with equal indifference and brevity, and the others said no more. The next variation which their visit afforded was produced by the entrance of servants with cold meat, cake, and a variety of the finest fruits in season. But this did not take place till after many significant looks and smiles from Mrs. Ainsley to Miss Darcy had been given to remind her of her post. There was now employment for the whole party, for, though they could not all talk, they could all eat and the beautiful pyramids of grapes, nectarines, and peaches soon collected them round the table. While thus engaged, Elizabeth had a fair opportunity of deciding whether she most feared or wished for the appearance of Mr. Darcy, by the feelings which prevailed on his entering the room, and then, though but a moment before she had believed her wishes to predominate, she began to regret that he came. He had been some time with Mr. Gardiner, who, with two or three other gentlemen from the house, was engaged by the river, and had left him only on learning that the ladies of the family intended a visit to Georgiana that morning. No sooner did he appear than Elizabeth wisely resolved to be perfectly easy and unembarrassed, a resolution the more necessary to be made, but perhaps not the more easily kept because she saw that the suspicions of the whole party were awakened against them, and that there was scarcely an eye which did not watch his behaviour when he first came into the room. In no countenance was attentive curiosity so strongly marked as in Miss Bingley's, in spite of the smiles which overspread her face whenever she spoke to one of its objects, for jealousy had not yet made her desperate, and her attentions to Mr. Darcy were by no means over. Miss Darcy, on her brother's entrance, exerted herself much more to talk, and Elizabeth saw that he was anxious for his sister and herself to get acquainted, and forwarded as much as possible every attempt at conversation on either side. Miss Bingley saw all this likewise, and, in the imprudence of anger, took the first opportunity of saying, with sneering civility, Pray, Miss Eliza, are not the Shire militia removed from Meryton? Yes. They are stationed for the summer in Brighton. That must be a great loss to your family. Mrs. Hurst was all innocence. Mm, quite a pity indeed. I should think that you yourself more keenly feel the loss at the absence of a particular gentleman. 
Miss Bingley's voice was soft, but her intent was plain. In Darcy's presence, she dared not mention Wickham's name, but Elizabeth instantly comprehended that he was utmost in her thoughts, and the various recollections connected with him gave her a moment's distress. But, exerting herself vigorously to repel the ill-natured attack, she presently answered the question in a tolerably detached tone. I cannot comprehend you. While she spoke, an involuntary glance showed her Darcy, with a heightened complexion earnestly looking at her, and his sister, overcome with confusion and unable to lift up her eyes. Had Miss Bingley known what pain she was then giving her beloved friend, she undoubtedly would have refrained from the hint, but she had merely intended to discompose Elizabeth by bringing forward the idea of a man to whom she believed her partial to make her betray a sensibility which might injure her in Darcy's opinion, and perhaps to remind the latter of all the follies and absurdities by which some part of her family were connected with the militia. Not a syllable had ever reached her of Miss Darcy's meditated elopement. To no creature had it been revealed where secrecy was possible, except to Elizabeth. And from all Bingley's connections, her brother was particularly anxious to conceal it, from the very wish which Elizabeth had long ago attributed to him of their being hereafter her own. He had certainly formed such a plan, and without meaning that it should affect his endeavour to separate him from Miss Bennet, it is probable that it might add something to his lively concern for the welfare of his friend. Elizabeth's behaviour, however, soon quieted his emotions, and, as Miss Bingley, vexed and disappointed, dared not approach nearer to Wickham, Georgiana also recovered in time, though not enough to be able to speak any more. Her brother, whose eye she feared to meet, scarcely recollected her interest in the affair, and the very circumstances which had been designed to turn his thoughts from Elizabeth seemed to have fixed them on her more and more cheerfully. Their visit did not continue long after the question and answer aforementioned, and while Mr Darcy was attending them to their carriage, Miss Bingley was venting her feelings in criticisms on Elizabeth's person, behaviour and dress. Mrs Hurst lent her much support, but Georgiana would not join them. I remember the first time she came to Netherfield and gave a full display of country manners via the unkept and muddy state of her petticoat. And do not forget her hair. Oh, oh, I do recall. Uh, what was it we said? Positively wild. <laughs> Such imprudence. Have we not told you of it, Georgiana? No. I'm certain you have never mentioned her. Surely you can see it now that we have. How uncivil, how crude her manners, how positively country she is. I find myself rather surprised that we are speaking of the same person. Well, there is no need to worry about finding out for yourself the full extent of her country manners. She has become even more ill-looking since we last saw her. Indeed, this tour of the country has not been kind to her complexion. But perhaps it has simply been so long since we are in the company of such country society that we have forgotten how wild she is. Well, even before she spoke, I could see it in her general air. But poor Georgiana, you must not be accustomed to meeting with such unpolished society. Perhaps you are right. I have never met anyone like you have both described. Well, 
Caroline and I shall have to follow in your footsteps and ensure that we shan't grow accustomed to it ourselves. Quite, Louisa. That is an acquaintance I cannot let fade soon enough. Georgiana would not be swayed by them. Her brother's recommendation was enough to ensure Elizabeth would be esteemed by her. His judgment could not err, and he had spoken in such terms of Elizabeth as to leave Georgiana without the power of finding her otherwise than lovely and amiable. When Darcy returned to the saloon, Miss Bingley could not help repeating to him some part of what she had been saying to his sister. How very ill Miss Eliza Bennet looks this morning, Mr Darcy. I never in my life saw anyone so much altered as she is since the winter. She has grown so brown and coarse. Louisa and I were agreeing that we should not have known her again. However little Mr Darcy might have liked such an address, he contented himself with coolly replying, I perceived no other alteration than her being rather tanned. No miraculous consequence of travelling in the summer. For my own part, I must confess that I never could see any beauty in her. Quite so, Louisa. Her face is too thin. Her complexion has no brilliancy, and her features are not at all handsome. Her nose wants character. There is nothing marked in its lines. Her teeth are tolerable, but not out of the common way. And as for her eyes, which have sometimes been called so fine... I could never see anything extraordinary in them. They have a sharp, shrewish look, which I do not like at all. And I must say, she possesses such an air of self-sufficiency without fashion. It is intolerable. Persuaded as Miss Bingley was that Darcy admired Elizabeth, this was not the best method of recommending herself. But angry people are not always wise, and in seeing him at last look somewhat nettled, she had all the success she expected. He was resolutely silent, however, and from the determination of making him speak, she spoke again. I remember when we first knew her in Hertfordshire. How amazed we all were to find that she was a reputed beauty. And I particularly recollect your saying one night... After they had been dining at Netherfield, she a beauty. I should as soon call her mother a wit. <laughs> a wit? <laughs> Mr Darcy! But afterwards she seemed to improve on you, and I believe you <laughs> thought her rather pretty at one time. Mr Darcy could contain himself no longer. Yes, but that was only when I first saw her. For it is many months since I have considered her as one of the handsomest women of my acquaintance. He then went away, and Miss Bingley was left to all the satisfaction of having forced him to say what gave no one any pain but herself. Mrs Gardiner and Elizabeth talked of all that had occurred during their visit as they returned, except what had particularly interested them both. The look and the behaviour of everybody they had seen were discussed, except of the person who had mostly engaged their attention. They talked of his sister, his friends, his house, his fruit, of everything but himself, yet Elizabeth longed to know what Mrs Gardiner thought of him, and Mrs Gardiner would have been highly gratified by her niece's beginning the subject. 
thank you for joining us for another episode of Ballarat National Theatre's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, where we just found out that Mr Darcy had secretly been writing in his diary last November that he had lied about Elizabeth and was thinking she was totally handsome enough to tempt him. Bow chicka wow wow. This production is directed by Liana Skews, narrated by Olivia French, prepared for production by Elizabeth Bradford and Olivia French, Liana Skews and Marley Vanderbale, and secretly you have no idea which person is leaving these foolish messages at the end of the episodes. Maybe one day I'll do a big reveal, like Batman. This episode features the voices of Olivia French as Elizabeth Bennett, Ryan O'Connor as Mr. Darcy, Paul Roberts as Mr. Bingley, Lana Spencer as Louisa Hurst, Marley Vanderbale as Caroline Bingley, and introducing Tess Parker as Georgiana Darcy. This podcast was produced by Ballarat National Theatre on the lands of our traditional custodians, the Wathorong people. Cast recordings were made in the lands of the Wathorong and Boonwurrung peoples. Ballarat National Theatre acknowledges and pays respect to our traditional custodians and to their past, present and emerging leaders. And also, in case you weren't aware, originally Melbourne was actually called Batmania. The things you'll learn.